All right. Well, I'm really excited to speak to you about this commandment about not to steal. But before I do that, I have to ask you, does anybody know what the graphic on the right is? Because last week I had a graphic on the left and people were very confused by it. Just a couple were like, I don't know what that is. And I don't want anyone to be confused about this because I know that it can distract you throughout the entire morning. And you can be like, I didn't hear a word in a sermon because I couldn't figure out what that was. And it's not, what's that psychology test? It's not a Rorschach block, block whatever they call that, you know, blog. Um, so what, what do you think that, anybody know? It's a pickpocket. Very good. Now, some of you are going to be looking at that all morning. So I just don't see a pickpocket there, but that's what it is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'd encourage you to open your Bibles, not to the Exodus command because it's right on the screen, but to Genesis 31. There are a couple of different passages of scripture that are a little longer and we're going to be reading them. And as always, there is a Bible app event for this. And that is really the easy way to get to those things um, in your uh, online Bible app. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. So on an early morning, I think it might have been a fall morning, in McKean County, Pennsylvania, I walked out of my door into my driveway. I probably just walked maybe as far as from here to David. That's how far I walked to the front door of my car, to the side door of my car, rather, to get inside it and to go somewhere. And when I reached to open the door, I noted it hadn't been latched. It wasn't partially shut. It wasn't shut at all. It was open about this far. And it was Laurel's car, and so I said, she's so irresponsible. I can't believe it. No, Laurel would never do that. But I thought, one of us must have not closed this door tightly. Maybe hands were four or whatever. So I got into the car, I put the keys in the ignition, and I turned it, and click, 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 because the dome light had been on. And so the battery was dead. So I thought, okay, I'll go over to my other car. So I got out and went over to my other car so I could jump the first car. And when I went to open the door on that, guess what? It was slightly open. And what are the odds of that? that both Laurel and I would forget to close our car doors. And I'd like to tell you I immediately knew what happened, but I didn't until I looked around a little bit and saw someone had been in both of those automobiles. They had come to our home, which is in the country, for crying out loud. It wasn't even in town. They'd come to our home, and they had come into our driveway, and they had opened my unlocked car, and they had gotten inside, and they took things like change. There was a, I don't know if you know what this is, a VHS tape. Do you remember those? There were cassette tapes as well, and, and maybe a microphone for a ham radio or something. They took all that stuff and made off with it. Now, really, the stuff they took wasn't of a lot of value, but it just kind of bugged me. I felt really weird knowing that as I slept at night, someone was in my car. It just, it felt like they violated my personal space, like they had, they had, taken advantage of me in my sleeping time, that they, that they entered my world and they did a bad thing. They broke the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. It was a weird feeling. Did you ever have that feeling? Has that happened to you? You feel that kind of weird thing, like I've been violated here. Now, this is one of those commandments, this commandment, you shall not steal, that pretty much everyone agrees with. Christianity... Judaism, naturally, because it's right there in the Judaic law. Islam agrees with this. Hinduism agrees with this. Buddhism agrees with it. Atheists agree with this. Agnostics agree with this. Most everyone agrees that stealing is wrong. So the question is, why then does God bother to write it down? I mean, he's not using a ballpoint pen here. He's carving in stone, and he takes the time to write, you shall not steal, commandment number eight, Exodus 20, verse 15. Why? Why does he do that? Let's think for a minute about 
what the Bible actually says about stealing. How does the Bible regard stealing? You know, you're in Exodus, well, you're not, but I just read to you from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. It's just two chapters later that you read something like this. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Old Testament, don't steal. In the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, that the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Ephesus, he says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. That is just such an interesting thing to be stuck in the middle of a letter you're writing to a bunch of Christians. I think Paul knows something about them that we don't know, right? Something must be going on in Ephesus. And I really would like to know, not because I'm nosy, I'm just interested in, you know, what's going on behind the scenes there. So the Bible indicates, yeah, what you already know. Stealing is wrong. Stealing, the Bible shows us, is just outright taking that which does not belong to you. When Laurel and I were traveling one time, she left her earrings in the hotel. We were there for several nights in a row at a conference, left her earrings in a hotel. And the next morning when she woke up to put them on from the day she had left them there before, they were gone. And she said, someone stole our earrings. It's troubling. It means outright take that which doesn't belong to you. But it means more than that. Stealing is actually bigger than that. Remember, I told you to turn to chapter 31 of Genesis. In a minute, we're going to look there, and we're going to see that stealing also includes tricking someone out of someone. And the reason I feel a need to say this is because sometimes a person can feel, you know, if I'm really slick and I get that from them without them putting up a fight, then it's not really stealing, right? If I can trick them and they don't put up any fight, then it's not really stealing. Genesis 31 is a story of where... where uh, Jacob is getting ready to leave. He's going to flee his uncle Laban. The two of them had conflict after conflict. Neither one of them were very uh, good characters, it would seem. When you pick up the story in verse 17, Genesis 31, 17, it says, Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padam Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Verse 19 says, when Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he was running away. So he fled with all he had, crossed the Euphrates River, and headed to the hill country of Gilead. Now, in those verses 19 and 20, that sentence that says, Rachel stole her father's household goods. You can see it on the screen if you're looking. The word for the word there that is translated stole is used in the very next verse of what Jacob does. It says, Jacob deceived Laban. But the Hebrew word is stole from. And he did it through deception. And so matter how so no matter how clever I may be or how smart I may be or how well I might be able to grease the wheels of justice or finagle my way into something or, or to wrangle that around, stealing is stealing. Stealing is stealing. And the Bible teaches us that. The Bible uses that same word for steal when it speaks about depriving another of what is theirs. So stealing isn't just a matter of adding to my inventory, to my wallet, so to speak, but it's a matter of removing something from the other person's inventory. It is depriving them. 
Job is talking in chapter 21 about the wicked. And in verse 18, he says of the wicked, how often are they like straw before the wind? They are like chaff stolen away by a gale. That's what it would literally say. Probably your translation says swept away by a gale. And so stealing is taking something away from someone else so they no longer have it. One other perspective, and there's more as well, but one other way the Bible speaks of stealing is with the word kidnapping. Kidnapping someone is stealing them. Joseph was kidnapped, sold into slavery by his own brothers. And when he's telling that story in chapter 40 of Genesis, when he's in Egypt, in verse 15, he says, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. I was stolen from the land of the Hebrews. Kidnapping, human trafficking. It is probably the worst of all kinds of stealing. I tell you this to say that stealing may be more than you first think of when you think of the phrase, and to tell you as well that it is a serious offense. And in fact, the spiritual roots of this commandment actually may be more relevant to you than you think. I mean, you may read this command, you shall not steal, and think to yourself, yeah, well, I know that. I got that down pretty well. I'm in the clear. It really isn't relevant to me. Maybe so. But as I was preparing this message, I realized that some of the tendencies, hear this phrase, some of the tendencies that underlie the issue of stealing are present in my own heart. Do you understand that? I may not steal, but some of the things behind it They can be present in your own heart. And you really need to address it because stealing causes some deeply rooted, hidden damage. First of all, stealing creates mistrust and protectiveness. Some of you may remember uh, when during a Sunday service right here at church, a stranger went through our parking lot. How many remember that? Put up your hand, let me see. Yeah, good, it looks like about half of you do. So for the other half of you, this stranger went through our parking lot. He, he went through the cars there during the service, and then he went through the cars in the next lot, and then he went down to the next church, and he went through their parking lot as well, and he, he stole things out of cars that were not locked. He stole money out of the console. He stole toys. He stole books. He stole CDs. He stole a, a deer rifle, actually, a 7 mm 8 uh, someone had in his car, and, and he stole that as well. Now, in the end, he was caught, and as far as I know, most of those items were, were recovered. But for some people, that incident changed something in them. I, I can remember more than one person saying to me, Pastor Steve, I never really locked my car when I came to church, because it's church. It's home. It's my family. It's my friends. And now... I lock it every week. I'm going to tell you, I've been locking my car since the 80s. It's the first time somebody put a zucchini in the front seat for me. <laughs> so stealing is bad because stealing is bad. Stealing is bad maybe because it makes you lock your car. But more importantly, stealing is bad because it creates inside of the hearts of people a mistrust toward one another and a protectiveness regarding their property. And people suddenly feel uncomfortable and less secure and maybe even a little bit afraid. And that is not something God wants. It's a deeply rooted spiritual damage left behind by theft. Stealing as well diminishes your character, your reputation with others. It damages how people view you. 
I mean, it's really hard to trust someone who has a reputation for stealing, right? And if, it's even harder if they've stolen from you. But here's what's really bad about stealing, and I hope I can communicate this. Do you remember why murder was bad? We, we talked about thou shalt not kill, you shall not com- commit murder. And we look back at Genesis 9, 6, and remember that passage says that man is made in God's image, Therefore, it is wrong to kill a human being because you're damaging the image of God. And remember, I told you, if I brought up an 8 by 10 glossy of you and tore it up, how would you feel about me damaging your image? You would not feel that was a good thing. So that's one of the reasons murder is wrong. And then we also alluded to this when we talked about adultery. Remember, we talked about how that marriage reflects the triune nature of God. It says, let us make humankind in our image, Right? And that's the triune God saying that this family unit he is going to create is going to reflect his nature. And so adultery, we would have said that week when we covered that last week, is wrong because it takes something made in the image of God and it violates it. Because, and here's what I want you to hear, the image of God is a really important thing. Don't mess with the image of God. Don't mess it up. You're made in the image of God. So you might say, and you would be right, but you would be understating it, that stealing reflects poorly on the image of God. It does more than reflect poorly on it. Whenever human beings steal or do any other such thing, they are failing to do that which is most fundamental to our reason for being. We are created to image God. And when we fail to do that, when we steal... We fail to do that, to display his likeness. This commandment is incredibly important because of the reasons indicated, and and it's incredibly relevant to you and me because it's a matter of the heart. A lot of times people are tempted to steal because of what I want to call their small faith. Maybe they have what people call a scarcity mentality. So they're going to steal because things are scarce. Hmm. The viewpoint is there's not enough to go around. And maybe they feel that way because they grew up in a big family and if you didn't get the food, you weren't going to get the food. Or maybe their parents had neglected them and they really had to fight for what they could get and take what they could get. Or maybe they've personally just been through some economic recessions in their own life (coughs) and then they feel like they they have to steal because they have that scarcity mentality. Uh, A lot of people had a scarcity mentality about 15 months ago regarding toilet paper. Remember that? (laughs) I can't tell you I stole any, (laughs) but I knew where it was stored in the church. I can tell you that. (laughs) Right? Yeah. But a scarcity mentality can lead you to be tempted to violate this command. But you don't have to. Because believers don't need to have a scarcity mentality because of who you worship and who loves you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Listen to it. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, hear the word all, you will abound in every good work. Do you hear a sense of scarcity in that? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> me neither. You can have great faith because you trust in God and his abundance. 
He says it again and again. This is one of those verses you might have memorized. It's so beautiful. Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. How deep are the riches of his glory? Yeah. And he's going to meet all your needs. No hint of scarcity there. You can trust God's abundance. In fact, if you want to avoid breaking this commandment, then consider the smallness of your faith and deepen your faith by deepening your walk with God and your familiarity with him so you can trust him. Turn to Luke chapter 12. This is the second of two passages that's a little bit too long to be on the screen. Luke chapter 12. So we've said that sealing is a matter of the heart. It's often the result of small faith. I would say also that sealing is often born of greed. It's often born of greed. My wife is a quilter. A couple weeks ago, she was at Mahaffey Camp for a whole week quilting with her sister. It was good for her soul. It was just a good thing. You may or may not know this about quilters, but they need fabric. Lots of fabric. Much fabric. Because you've got to have just the right color and just the right pattern to go with what you've started. And so my wife has a mug that says this. She who dies with the most fabric wins. <laughs> that makes me smile. But real greed, not the silly kind on Laurel's mug. Real greed, it's nothing to smile about. Jesus comes down pretty heavy on it in Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 15. Then he said to them, and this is Jesus speaking, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my supplies and grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now look at Jesus' last words. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Wow. That's a pretty stern warning, isn't it? That's a pretty serious thing Jesus is saying there because greed is a pretty serious problem. Greed is so far removed from who God is. There's not a greedy bone in God's body, if you could say it that way. In fact, God is characterized by the very opposite of greed, generosity. Who's more generous, rather? Who is more generous than God? He's a giver, the giver of all good things. For God so loved the world that he gave, gave, gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Hmm. If you understand what Jesus is saying here, you see it drips with generosity. If you're a Christ follower, 
you might want to ask the Spirit of God to show you how to release any greed that you sense in your own person that may be causing you grief. And you may want to choose to walk in generosity. Stealing is a matter of the heart. It is born of small faith. It is born of greed. And it, it is really an outgrowth of our own selfishness. Jesus says in John 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and then they might have it to the full. Really, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Not really? All the time? Don't I know thieves that never killed or destroyed? Yeah, probably. Probably. But maybe Jesus means it in a different sense. Because stealing, it does kill relationships. And stealing is destructive to people, even to their hearts. and makes them characterized by mistrust and defensiveness and protectiveness. Stealing is a matter of the heart because it's an outgrowth of selfishness. Now, most of us would probably say we don't have a big problem with stealing, but these roots, the small faith thing and the greed thing and the selfishness thing, these natural impulses that human beings have, if we're honest, we will admit that those roots, maybe they're deep within the soil of our lives. And maybe they need addressed. How do you do that? How do you counter these natural impulses? Well, by doing the opposite of them. Deal with your heart and choose to trust God. If you have small faith, choose to trust God. There can be times in a human being's life when it might seem logical to steal. And if that's ever the case for you, I would encourage you to give some thought to a passage, again, another passage that's often memorized by people. It's Proverbs chapter three. Usually people measure or memorize verses five and six. Just verse five today says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust him. It's a decision. I have had several motorcycles in my lifetime. And I have taken several people on their very first motorcycle ride ever. There is something that people have in their heads that's not, it's just not accurate. But they think, I've always wanted to ride on the back of a motorcycle with someone. I'll bet the pastor would be a safe person to ride with. <laughs> wow, that's so wrong. <laughs> that's just so wrong, right? But I've taken a lot of people on their first ride on a motorcycle. One of the most memorable ones was a woman who was in her 80s at a church picnic. I showed up on a motorcycle. How many remember this? Anybody remember this? Just Laurel, yeah. I showed up on my motorcycle and uh, her son came over and said, hey, mom wants to talk to you. And I went over and said, what, what's going on? Would you take me for a ride on your motorcycle? She was so frail. She had to be helped back and forth to the car at that point in her life, if I recall correctly. We put that motorcycle on her head. and Not motorcycle, not the motorcycle. We left the motorcycle. <laughs> That's not a pity laugh, is it? <laughs> we put that helmet on her head. It was hard for her to hold it up. You know what I mean? She was that person. And I put her on the back of that motorcycle. When she got off, she was just beaming. She loved it. It was a good time. Good time. I took a woman in her 80s on her first ride on a motorcycle. I've taken very, very small people 
on their first ride on motorcycles. In fact, if there were pictures of that, I'll bet they'd show up on the 6 o'clock news and I'd be on my way to... Children and youth would want to talk to me. But it was 30 years ago, so I'm probably okay, right? I honestly think my son was in diapers the first time I had him on my motorcycle. Don't do that. Don't do that. I've taken very large people on, on my motorcycle, on the back of it as well, I've taken on people on their very first ride on my motorcycle who were scared out of their wits. Now, of all those people, the old one, the baby, the very large person, or the one who's scared to death, who do you think is the most dangerous to have on the back of that machine? Yeah, the scared person. The scared person. Because when you're riding a motorcycle, you have got to lean it. And if you fail to lean it, you go off into the woods. It is a fact of nature. You know, when Laurel and I were first married, I think I weighed 120 pounds and she weighed 110. You know, just... I weighed more than that, but she didn't. She was just a little thing. We had a motorcycle that was all muscle. I mean, it was a Yamaha XJ750, and back in the day, that was a screamer. And I had screaming pipes on it. We were the coolest kids at school, weren't we, hon? Yeah. I should have put a picture of it on the screen. And I can remember, I would ride that motorcycle by myself, and it would kind of hop around some corners. But when I got that extra 100 pounds on the back, called my wife, Laurel Shields, she rode with such trust and confidence in me. It was like having a knapsack. And she would just lay on that, and I could manage those curves in the Chattahoochee Mountains, around the Chattahoochee River, in the Smoky Mountains, I guess they were called. I could manage those curves faster than anyone else at school. But not without Laurel on the back. I needed her weight on the back to help me. And she trusted me. And we had a blast. But when you don't trust, chaos ensues. Damage is right around the corner. It's not going to be a nice ride. You get my point, right? So it is with God. That when you trust him, when you trust him, you are safe. And this commandment, do not seal. This commandment takes care of itself. So number one, to counter these natural impulses, trust God. Number two, honor God. Again, this is a book of Proverbs. It's a verse that I don't know why, but I memorized it when I was younger. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Those two verses are about giving, which is the absolute opposite of stealing. And when you give, you honor the giver who has a capital G on his name. Sometimes that's a battle though, right? I mean, sometimes... Honoring God, which requires that we behave honorably, is hard for us to do because there are a lot of temptations in this world. There are a lot of distractions in this world. There's an enemy who wants us to do anything but honor God. And sometimes we can find ourselves feeling like, I am just in a battle here. And sometimes we lose. Sometimes we lose. A buddy of mine uh, was cleaning out his books and he gave me a book by Erwin McManus called The Way of the Warrior. I like it because he's got a white beard, (laughs) and so do I. I've been putting a book on social media. I'm expecting the publisher to call me and say, hey, that's copyrighted, man. You got like 90% of the text out on Facebook. What are you doing, right? Because it's just had so many good things in it. In here, he speaks about battles that all of us fight, and one of the battles you fight is the battle to honor God with everything you are, and sometimes you don't make it. I just want to read you maybe a half a dozen sentences from the opening of chapter five from this book. Because you're the warrior and you're fighting the battle. Listen to it. The warrior knows that honor is not found in victory. Think that through for a minute. The warrior knows that honor 
is not found in victory. Honor is found in the nobility of the battle. In other words, you you won't always win, but it is a noble thing to work, to do that which is honorable. If the battle is not worthy of the warrior's life, then there's no honor in that victory. In the same way, the warrior knows there is no dishonor in defeat. Failure and defeat are not the same thing. To fear defeat is to surrender victory. There is only a good fight and a good death for the one whose life is given to the noble. The warrior never claims victory for themselves, but for others. In the same way, the warrior never gives blame for defeat, but he owns it for himself. The warrior owns defeat, and therefore, defeat never owns the warrior. The warrior who lives and dies enters eternity undefeated. I feel like living a life of honor to God is something I do really, really well occasionally, and something I do really, really poorly all too often. But I am in a battle, and a battle is a noble battle, and I will not cede defeat to the enemy. You want to counter these natural natural impulses? Honor God. And this commandment, it'll take care of itself. Here's the third one. Imitate God. Sounds really heavy illustration, so let me give you a lighter one, okay? Imitate God, imitate his generosity. Yesterday was trick-or-treat in Kerwinsville, and uh, Laurel was down there dressed up as a squeegee or whatever she was dressed up as, right? (laughs) I love (laughs) One of my goals when I'm preaching is to make Laurel go, (laughs) ding, got it, okay. So I'm at home, and I'm handing out candy to the kids who are coming up to the door, and this one kid came up, and he said something that just made me laugh. And it filled me with joy. He's just the cutest little guy. He's about this tall, right? And, and you know, those candy pieces are like this big, right? And so I almost always say, take two, they're small. And I do that for two reasons. One, because they're really little. And two, because that's a way to say, don't take 10 of these, guy, right? Take two, they're small. It gives him a guideline. Hey, take two, they're small. And this kid reached in and he picked up one piece of candy. He looked up at me and said, I'm going to be... Oh, and you got to know, his... He had like a bag of candy. It was huge in his other arm. He reaches and he takes this and he looks up at me and says, I'm going to be kind. And my arm's kind of (laughs) sore. And I'm like, that might be the best thing I heard all day yesterday. My arm's kind of sore. Listen, that I'm going to be kind part, that's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about here in imitating God because his kindness is unfathomable. And rather than allowing greediness to characterize your life, choose kindness. And when you do that, your heart will feel better, you will feel better, and your arm won't hurt, right? And this commandment, it'll take care of itself. (laughs) Listen, you can do this. You can do this. You can trust God. You can honor him. You can imitate him. I was looking around the internet for kind of an illustration of generosity, and 
generally what you find is some incredibly wealthy person helps some really poor organization. And those are the things that make the headlines. But there's this YouTuber in New York City who, he did an experiment. <laughs> he, he put what he said was several thousand dollars cash in a wallet. He said he put $5,000 in his wallet. And I'm doing the math on that. I don't know how it folded over because hundreds are the biggest, but he got a lot of money in there no matter what. And now he walks through kind of a busy part of the city where there's a lot of people, including a lot of homeless people, standing there with signs. And he walks by this one homeless person and intentionally drops his wallet and keeps right on walking. And the homeless person, he has cameras watching this. He's got cameras watching this that the homeless person doesn't know are there. And the homeless person reaches down, picks it up, looks inside it, looks at the guy, and begins walking toward him quickly saying, hey, hey, buddy, hey. You dropped your wallet, and he gave him the wallet. And the YouTuber looked at him and said, did you look inside this? He said, yeah. He said, you gave this back to me, but you need it. Now, the, the homeless guy doesn't know he's on TV. He doesn't know there's cameras. You gave this back to me, but you need it. And homeless man, who, by the way, his name was Jay. They have names. The homeless man, Jay, replies, I do need it, but, yeah, but... You don't steal from people. The YouTuber then rewards him with an undisclosed amount of money. And Jay takes that money. Now they're going to watch. What's he going to do with this money? Jay took that money. And he went to one of those places where, you know, you can go up to the window and you can order food. It's like a vendor. They have them at the Clearfield Fair all the time. They have them in the cities too. He went up to that and, and and he walked up to that vendor and he bought bags of food. And he's carrying them like you're carrying your Walmart bags when you're coming home. You know, like all these bags of food, prepared food. And he took it and he gave it to that homeless guy and to that homeless woman and to that homeless guy and to that homeless guy and to that homeless woman. <laughs> the YouTuber called him, quote, a great man. <laughs> he is. In the dialogue that he had with the YouTuber, you could tell that Jay was a man who was just trying to trust God. And that Jay was a man who was actually trying to honor God. And that Jay was a man who was imitating God. I want to pray we would do the same, okay? So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll do that. Wow, how amazingly relevant these Ten Commandments are, right? Thou shalt not steal. God is so good the way he speaks to us right where we are. And maybe he's spoken to you about your own generosity, your own faith, your, how well you're imaging him, whatever he's spoken to you about. Let's take just a moment of quietness, no music, no anything, just quietness, where you, in the silence of your thoughts, say, Holy Spirit, what is it that I need to address in this area? And after the maybe 30 seconds of silence, then I'll pray and we'll sing the closing song. Let's pray. Father, it's very easy to look at this on a shallow level. Forgive us for that. Help us to look deeply at what's beneath the soil of our life and see that which is unhealthy there. 
and, and speak to you concerning it. Help us to be men and women, boys and girls, who trust you, who see that you are able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or think. And therefore, as we trust you, this commandment takes care of itself. Help us to be men and women who honor you and help us to fight the good fight of honor in an honorable way so that we would be men and women and boys and girls who give you what you deserve, our honor. And may we image you, imitate you. And may the word generosity be stamped into our very being. This is our prayer. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.